You're listening to the Water in Real Life podcast, the podcast for people who want to become better leaders by becoming better communicators. Why? Because those who tell the stories rule the world. We're your hosts, the H2 duo, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. So without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey, y'all, this is an exciting one for me for a multitude of reasons, but mostly because I'm sitting next to Mike Beitler in real life. And uh, who is Mike Beitler, you're asking? Well, he is an artist with a passion for well-crafted, conceptually successful design. With nearly 20 years of work in the marketing and advertising industry, Mike produces brand strategy and artistic direction that grabs the attention of audiences and looks great on a water tower. He is able to translate the complexity and technical language of water into visual pieces that demand attention. And most importantly, he is the creative director of Rogue Water. So, and Rogue Water Lab. So Mike, thanks for making the trek from Austin. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here live and in person. This is super exciting. Yes, Ariane. I was just going to say, like, <laughs> at least one of us made the trek. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we got to get Mike some better internet, but he says it's coming. So nice. I, I'm, I'm going to miss the frozen um, poses during our, our weekly meetings. This, this may be a more interesting podcast if I'm frozen half of the time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then yeah. We, that's when we guess what he's going to say next. So. Yeah. Just fill in the blank. It's like a yeah. lip. Yeah. So uh, I'm really excited for y'all to get to know him better through this podcast and uh, working with him for the past. I mean, it's a couple of years. Yeah. Six, five, six years, something like that um, has been really eye opening and educational for us as well. He's taught us as much as he's produced for us. So I'm excited to uh, to share that with y'all. But uh, so we're going to open in a little different way than we typically do. Okay, so we normally ask our guests if they chose water or if water chose them. Um, water chose you 100%, aka <laughs> yeah, the H2 duo plucked you up and said, you're coming with me. Yep. And um, <laughs> we met you and we worked with you. We just can't quit you now. You know, you're kind of stuck with us for life. For life. Um, but give us your art and design origin story. How and when did you know that art was your jam? I knew that art was my jam, I think, as a little kid. I was, oh. you know, typical artist background of I was the kid who, who grew up drawing. Um, Mike's seven foot tall, so he's never been a little kid. <laughs> I, was, I was a large child. Uh, that's a different story. We'll leave that part out of it. Um, but I grew up drawing. I went through high school drawing and taking art classes. And it wasn't until I started looking at colleges that I figured out that design was even a, a an avenue. Yeah. Right? I didn't know what it was. I went on a college visit. And as my mom is telling me, you, you are welcome to be an artist professionally, but you are not going to live in our garage and try to sell like paintings out of the garage. So you better figure out a way Come to make mom. this a career. Yeah. Um, so thanks, mom. Yeah. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I, went, I went on a college visit and was explained uh, what graphic design is. Oh, okay. And, and very simply, they, they explained to me that, that it's visual problem solving and using your artistic skills to solve problems, which 
fascinated me because I think as my brain is kind of built to solve problems, that's mm-hmm. just kind of how I'm wired. And throw wrenches. <laughs> and yes. to cause problems, we'll get into yes. those later, listeners. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where it took off. Uh, taking the idea that I want to to draw everything, um, and turning that into a useful skill, a, th- a, th- other, a other job. Than, yeah, an actual job, a profession. Nice. So walk me through really quick. Cause I don't, I mean, I've obviously seen your resume multiple times because you're on all of our, our piece, <laughs> but, uh, but kind of walk me through that first job because now we didn't mention in the opening, but you, as, uh, as another gig, you're, you're just like gigging all over the place. Uh, but you've got the brand movement with your wife, Katie, which you do a lot of branding work there. So what has been your evolution from graduated design school or art school to uh where you are now where we are now yeah i started out working in-house at an accounting firm what (laughs) is that what you're expecting hold on but doing what no (laughs) doing doing basic graphic design oh okay okay so there was a huge i'll give away my age a bit here but there is I was in college. We graduated in 2002. And in 1999, if you signed up to become a graphic designer, you were going to be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. And there were just, <laughs> there was more work than, than the world knew what to do with. Mm-hmm. Some things changed in the next couple of years. And by the time we graduated, the graphic design jobs were very hard to come by. Really? And we were competing with very seasoned graphic designers. Wow. So when we started looking for jobs, you had to take, take what you could get, take what you could get. Yeah. I landed a job working in a marketing department in-house at a kind of a medium-sized accounting firm in Dallas. And I'm grateful that that was my first experience because you are introduced to so much real world. Oh yeah. You know, that I think going to work in an agency, which I did later, there's a uh, far more room for creative expression and, and creative mm-hmm. need. Working for an accounting firm, you have to learn how to manage a brand for people who are not agency-minded folks. Yeah. So it was a very valuable several years for me. From there, I went uh, to another in-house job at a nonprofit at a, at a big okay. radio ministry and they broadcast Ooh, all over the world. That's so right. Again, I remember yeah. when Mike came with us to the Pacific Northwest Clean Water Association conference uh, one time. And I was like, is this the most bizarre conference as a creative designer that you've ever been to? And he said, no, I've been at one all about like broadcast radio. <laughs> broadcast <laughs> I was like radio. what? Wow. That's cool. <laughs> um, I, when you first, I know you want to keep going, but when you first talked about going to the accounting group, I almost pulled you from being our creative art director to be our biz dev guy. Yeah. Print his numbers yeah. So That's I'm glad you clarified idea. what you did. <laughs> I think that experience of working with folks who dig spreadsheets was preparing you for working with the, the clients that we have now. Yeah. 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 It, it, it taught me a lot. Yeah. It is a, it is a different, it is not what I was expecting coming out of school based on yeah. the experience school gives you in, in solving creative problems. It is very real world and very much, um, you have to learn to adapt. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot there and it kind of the same thing being in house at the, at the radio broadcast ministry of 
managing a brand from inside is really valuable when you step out of that, which is where I went next into to agency life. Yeah. Um, I stepped into an agency as an art director and worked my way into creative director. But knowing the struggles of, a, of an organization internally with managing a brand, building a brand, maintaining a brand, sure. helped me immensely when I had someone come in cold that I didn't know inside and out you understand what you need to learn, what you need to know yeah. about them in order to represent them well. So uh, fast forward a couple different agency creative director jobs. And then now the brand movement is my other it's parallel okay. to Rogue Water. My wife and I run the brand movement. And his wife, Katie, is also an artist. Yes. Yes. So um, let it, I feel like your intro there really like set up a lot of the questions we have for you today. <laughs> so that was perfect. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the role of creative director, art director. You're the creative director for Rogue Water and Rogue Water Lab. <laughs> and as we've been trying to understand the, the makeup of the traditional agency, we've often asked you, okay, so were you Don Draper or were you the, oh man, I just blanked on his name, the Sal, or were you Sal? You know, so all of our references were coming from the Mad, from the Mad Men show. And I realized that that show took place in the 60s. So I imagine that it's not truly 100% representative of the agency buildup today and things have evolved. But for the listener's sake, can you kind of just explain high level what a creative director typically does and their role in the creative process? Sure. Don Draper isn't that far off. <laughs> I think Don Draper has the, his storyline has the advantage of he kind of jumped right into creative director. He did. I, he was the idea man from the beginning. Yeah. And I think most uh, of us creative directors now have worked our way through mm. the gamut. I've been a web designer. Paid your dues. Yes, we've yeah. paid, paid some dues. Uh, web designer, graphic designer art director, junior art director, you know, you, you work your way up the ladder and you mm -hmm. pick up all of those skills. Not that any are more important than the other. They all work together. Um, but the creative director is, his name kind of says it all. His, the name kind of says it all in that it's, it's my role to absorb all of the information, generate an idea lay out the, the, the groundwork for the idea. And then you bring in an extremely talented team of art directors, mm -hmm. production folks to help bring that idea to life. Mm -hmm. and, and the creative director is the one who kind of holds firm. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the tricky part of being a creative director is, is everybody brings in ideas and it's my role to make sure that those ideas line up with the original creative direction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm which can be a very tricky thing because there can be a beautiful idea happening that's almost what we need, but not quite there. And it's hard to say no to a really good idea because it's not the right solution for the right problem. So yeah. that's kind of where the creative director, aside from the creative genesis, which is a big part of my role, it's also the ability to kind of call ideas and organize ideas and, and understand which ones are the correct ones at the time. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the nice way of saying you keep Ariane and Stephanie's wild ideas. <laughs> Y'all have no many, no idea how many wonderful ideas 
of Stephanie and Ariane that I have to tell them is terrible <laughs> just so they won't they'll stay on track. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what you're here for, you know, yeah. to lay down the law. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So for, for us, that really means, uh, for anyone who has been or gone through a discovery process with us, I always say that in his, in a previous life or in another life, if this whole design thing doesn't work out, Mike would make a great therapist because he just has (laughs) such this calming demeanor about him and he's able to ask such, uh, Thoughtful. pointed helpful thoughtful questions to really to really get that information out and when we are going through a discovery uh you know i always have to preface it with you know we're asking a lot of questions and so it feels very people i don't think people are normally used to getting asked that many questions to that level of depth sometimes about who they are and why they're there and the value they bring and the mission all of that and so it can it can be if you're not good at that, it can be a situation that can go probably sideways sometimes if you're, if they're not prepared. And so at Mike least has- halfway through, you're going, what the heck are they talking <laughs> about? And then by the end, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, that I, uh, when you talk about the ideation piece and the concept and the conceptualization piece, mm-hmm. and then being able to take all of those little nuggets that we heard and pulled out of those conversations and just listening and then being able to see how that then gets translated into this piece that has all of those elements tied into it is that's, that's fun for me to see unfold and happen. Cause I may have an idea, but I can't execute it. Like <laughs> it's stick figures and, uh, whatever for me, but, um, but going back to that, when, when we are, um, when you are walking us through kind of your process from idea to deliverable, um, that's where I think one of the biggest outside again of just the deliverables that you help us produce or produce for us, um, with us, um, how much we've learned. And so I think when a lot of people think about creativity, they think of things like brainstorming and that ideation piece and that part of the process that kind of just seems all over the place because it's fluff and ideas being thrown at the thrown up in the air and post-it notes and all that. But, uh, but you really opened our eyes to the rules and the structure that, that really go in behind this, go in behind the scenes uh, with the creative process. And I think they bring a, a ton of value to the process as well. And so, as you know, our industry is very technical, very engineering based. And so every time you do share that process and that structure, I actually see the engineers in the room like, er, like they're, yeah. <laughs> I see the eyes open and I see the heads turn and like, tell me more, uh, they perk up. And so I wanted to talk about this with you, with you here. So kind of share some of that process and, and those rules particularly, and the value that those bring when like working with folks. Yeah. And like making those pitches, you know, an artistic pitch to a client who's not artistic minded, you know? Mm -hmm. The, the rules are vital to successful creative. I think successful creative is purposeful creative. Mm-hmm. And the rules give us a framework to say, we're trying to solve this problem. Mm-hmm. There are a million solutions to whatever the problem is. 
um, the rules give us something to, to wrap our solution around mm -hmm. and say, this, this, we made this choice on purpose. So the design rules are, are, are basic. You know, you, you have to understand um, composition and visual hierarchy and balance and, and value and all of those things to make a successful design. You can step outside of that and get into the rules of, of the rules is tricky there. I would say <laughs> digging into the, the spirit of what someone is trying to say. That's where all the questions come from. Mm -hmm. And that's why we really dig in is to try to pull out the spirit of what the intention is. So, yeah. so you're, you come, you come with an idea of what, how you think you're going to solve the problem. But if we can dig in with a creative process and say, we can solve that problem with this solution because it, it follows all of these rules that we know are successful, that we know work. It's, it's really fun and it makes your, your solution, your conceptually successful solution kind of bulletproof, even if it's varied in the stylistically of, well, I don't like that, ver that look, that yeah. color versus I do love this color we can argue things and we can defend our choices Yeah. versus it's, making arbitrary choices that you can't really defend other yeah. than I have a, I have a purple t-shirt, so we should make this brand purple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It helps mitigate the subjectiveness of, you know, yes. working in an area that's kind of ruled by a lot of subjectivity and helps give you, um, you know, I think that you've said before, like helps you defend those choices because they are rooted in roles. But one thing that you shared that was helpful for me, just personally, as somebody who, who writes, uh, I think I had shared before that I was just, um, like overthinking that and like being afraid to put a, my kind of my version of art out there. And, you know, you had shared about how, those rules help take the personal bite out of it when you get feedback or notes or criticism because mm -hmm. you can, um, they help separate the subjectivity too. So you're like, okay, well, what they just gave me there is probably their personal opinion because I follow, I was following, you know, this particular set of rules that helped, helped me come to that, uh, decision or choice or whatever. So being able to kind of separate your personal, your personal side from something that you created, which you seem to do so well, but I know that, uh, <laughs> I know that there's sometimes, you know, you're human. Yeah. There's probably also some frustration there too. Um, and then I feel like the rules also really help keep the thoughtfulness and, and purpose of what's being produced on the audience that it's being produced for. Mm -hmm. And, and so, that's, that's the trick is, is understanding that I made these choices thinking of my audience. I mm -hmm. didn't make these choices thinking of my client. Yeah. Can we say that for everyone choices. in the back? Say it for the people in the back of the room. We, we made these choices. <laughs> I think that's, yeah, that gets, that's hard. That's a tricky place to be in is you might like this or not like this, but your audience, your people who are your consumers, they love it or they need that. Like, talk more about that because that's really, really hard to pull yourself out of that personal kind of experience and say, what's better for the organization versus what I like and don't like. Mm -hmm. I hate a, the color orange. So 
Uh, y'all, I'll you talk know, about just, the color pink in a minute. You know, like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's exactly, that's the, that's it in its base form. Mm-hmm. You, when you create something that represents someone else. So we've been through a discovery process and we create whatever piece we're creating and present it back to them. We have captured, hopefully captured the spirit of what they were trying to say, but the visual representation may not be in any way what they were expecting or hoping for. That doesn't mean it's the wrong solution because we bring all of this experience and knowledge and, and we chose the color pink, <clears throat> Stephanie, on purpose because we know where this color is going to end up yeah. and where this product is going to end up. And that pink is going to make this product stand out. It's going to yeah. make it speak to people. It's going to grab people's attention. It's going to make them feel something specific. Mm-hmm. It's really hard as the client who is being represented if that thing clashes with a personal preference. Yeah. And that's where the rules come in and allow us to defend and and gives us wiggle room as well. Like yeah. we can switch from from pink to orange if they if they still if as long as it's not breaking the the cardinal rule, the original mm-hmm. rule. Yeah. As far as the judgment you receive, that goes back to the beginning and being able to handle not presenting what someone is expecting. Um, it's easy to go in knowing, okay, well, I can back up every decision I made because I made it based on those rules, but it never feels good to, to present something to someone. And they say, that's ugly. I hate it, (laughs) which happens. It does. Um, we were, we were trained very early on as designers in school. We were taught how to critique work. Mm. And I think uh, most designers know how to be constructive with their mm. feedback of work. And that's what you're trained to believe is going to happen in the real world. Mm. As a young designer, you're sitting there going, well, I'm going to present this work to someone and they're going to challenge why I made that decision based on the rule. Nobody yeah. prepares you for, I hate pink. What are you doing? Um, <laughs> I, for the record, I did not say that. <laughs> not in so many words. I didn't say that I hated it because of the pink, but I just imagine like you and Katie with Black Widow in the red room, like having all the emotions sucked out of you so that you could like have these, these interactions with people (laughs) critiquing, critiquing your work. But yes, Mike does uh, pull me out of my, my own subjectivity, especially around color palettes. But if you depended on me for the color palette, it would be, you know, black, white, gray, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and a dash of teal or something a dash of uh, a dash of tan black and tan because uh logan taught me i used to that's funny because like i never used to wear black and brown together and then one day i was looking at my dog who was a german shepherd and i was like you really work that like i think i'm into it so now i'll do it because you know i was like if he can pull it off i can pull it off but yeah <laughs> can always tie it back <laughs> um so we, we, you high level just mentioned these rules and in, this is not on our question sheet, but I just wanted to kind of go into that a little bit more, at least for like the listener's sake, you know, we have a blog that breaks down your rules of logos that are really mm-hmm. high level that are great. Like your mark should be able to be, be small and black and white. 
And I'll, so can you go more into like what some of these rules you're talking about are? The the logo rules specifically, or I don't or know, in picture? general, <clears throat> bigger, all of them. Yes. And <laughs> I think the, the all of them, <laughs> no, not all, all the rules you've ever invented. <laughs> Just became a masterclass. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't invent any of them. I'll, I'll preface by saying that. But the the logo rules are a really good example of of how they they help you make choices as a creative. Oh my god! I know what rule I want you to talk about specifically as okay. an example right now. White space. White space. God, please talk about white space because man, First that going is to logos. First going to logos. You have. But there's the- a whole blog about that that they can go read. They don't. We don't have anything about white space yet. Oh my gosh. Okay. I could give you a white space example. Okay. okay. So <laughs> white space is, is part of visual hierarchy and visual hierarchy is a skill that you're taught as a designer to help tell a story. You very rarely get to just present one thing when you're communicating, yeah. right? Um, visual hierarchy says, I'm going to to make the most important thing, the first thing you see visually. And then I'm going to lead you through a composition by the way I place things, the way I scale things, um, the way things are colored, all mm-hmm. of that works in together. White space is one of those big, big features. So the value of white space is so misunderstood mm. because most people, when they say, I'm going to run an ad that is 11 by 17 in a publication, and you put a one inch square in the middle, that is the only, um, we're going to make it, we're going to design a movie poster on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Okay? okay. This new movie that's coming out, we're just, we're inventing this movie. It's called Isolation. <laughs> okay. okay. It's, a, it's a horror movie right, called Isolation. Yeah. And we're going to design this poster. And we've got to represent the feeling of isolation Mm. visually in a poster. So I'm going to design two different posters. And one is going to be this full-size movie poster. It's a big 11 by 17 document. And all we did was with a typewriter, we typed isolation with a period. Black text in the very center of that poster. Everything around it is just a blank white page. Mm -hmm that feels extremely isolated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now we can do the opposite and we can um, design the a poster for the exact same movie, but we can put isolation really big and bold in a colorful, like uh, illustrative font with, with curly cues and, and lots of energy and it's really intense. And we're gonna put scenes from the movie and some photos of the actors all of a sudden we have this really crowded, complicated design. We've mm-hmm. lost all of our white space. Yeah. And we're struggling to understand as a viewer, mm-hmm. I have to process all of that information. Go back to the original. We used that white space. We made it, we mm-hmm. made, we, we took away all the clutter, all of the chaos and allowed you to focus on what we wanted you to feel, which is isolation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So using white space it doesn't have to be a scary movie it doesn't have to be that dramatic but when you're communicating to people you need to give them time to rest and to process what you're saying and you can do that visually with white space yes i so i just downloaded this document i'm not going to name the organization um and 
it's uh it's a you know why be a member infographic and there were so much text and arrows and images icons and broken up with lines and dotted lines i was staring at this thing for 5 minutes and couldn't my brain couldn't figure out where to start i couldn't you know it was just like there was no you're right about like reading through it and then creating a space to pause like yeah. you just there was nothing it was like from end to end just full edge to edge top to bottom and i'm guilty of that especially back in my city days um when i was trying to be a graphic designer also in PowerPoint, <laughs> um, you know, because we didn't have all the fancy in design and all that. Um, let alone and, anyone to know, know how to use it. Yeah. Or anyone. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, you know, used to do that. Used to want to like capitalize on every square inch. But, I mean, in school, they make you kind of do that too. Like yeah. when you're writing, you know, use every square inch of this to write your, you know, articles or whatever. And you're just like, there's no pause. And that is so important, especially I feel like nowadays where there's so much advertising out there grabbing your attention. Oh, that's so good. No pause. And I love that it, it shows you where to focus and put your attention to, which I think was really important, um, has been important for us in our own examples that we've had too. And I know I didn't let them talk about the logo, but I promise y'all I'll post the blog in the show notes. So yeah. you can go check that out. It's a nice short blog. Like there's not a ton of rules, but they're all important. So three major rules. That's it. Yep. That's it. And I basically gave them away already. Yeah. But go read it anyways. It's a good yeah. read. We made Mike the designer, right? Yeah. Yes. I had to use my words, <laughs> not my pictures. Yeah. It was stressful. Yeah. So you know, when we're in a discovery process, you know, with you, we glean so much information from our clients. Um, and we use that, you know, for many different pieces. Can you put yourself in their shoes and give some tips or mindsets for them to bring to discovery in general? Like, put I guess yourself like in the shoes of the client. Yeah. What I was thinking is, you know, when I said that that process, it can be kind of intimidating to have yeah. somebody asking all these questions. Like what are, if you're like, you know, that you're going into this session with creatives, like, you know what you're trying to get from them. So then how can you kind of help put those folks at ease that are on the other side of that? I would, ad I would advise them just to talk, hmm. to explain where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid that an idea might not be good or, or a fully formed idea or concept. Mm -hmm. Explain where you're coming from. Explain why you feel that way. Don't be afraid to share because as a creative wow. who's sitting on the other side gathering information, the answer, what I'm going to create, you have it. You have it locked away in there. I'm not inventing something that represents you. I'm pulling that information out of you. So the more free you are and the more willing you're, you, you are to be honest about who you are, where you're going, the as easier an it is for me as an organization, not, not personally, but, but yeah. yes, but, but being willing to share and kind of let the creative team in, we're on your side. We want to create yeah. something 
that that represents you and that you are really proud of and to proud your you will be proud to say you are a part of mm-hmm. that comes from you the client mm-hmm. we are we are the ones who just are able to pull it together in a way that speaks to your audience mm-hmm. we're we're the 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 middle ground we're the translator because we have been trained to understand what you're trying to do make it palatable for people outside of your organization. Yeah. So coming with an open mind, mm-hmm. it's a little bit like therapy. <laughs> a little bit. Cause we're going to, we're going to make you dig into the, you're going to ask answer, but why, <laughs> but why? And that's, and that's just it. And then don't be, um, <laughs> what do I say that politely? Don't be uh, offended when we challenge. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah. part of what we do is, is to challenge the, the why you're doing something because mm-hmm. it's, 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 we know you're overflowing with ideas and mm-hmm. you're passionate about what you're doing and you want to say it all. Yeah. And we're going to challenge the, the importance of saying it all. What about now, for those? Oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I, thought I saw pause, but. Nope, please go ahead. Well, what about for those people who are afraid you're going to come in and change too much, you know, like, especially in our line of work, Mm -hmm. they see us coming into these discoveries and asking them questions. Um, Some people are really active and engaged with us and some are kind of reserved and sitting back and maybe provide answers later. But, you know, some, sometimes they're just afraid of like, when we ask them, challenge them, but why ask them, you know, those questions, like, how do we get them to understand that? I guess what you just kind of said, like we're on your team, we're going to challenge your status quo. Otherwise, why are we here type of thing? (laughs) Right. And that's just it. There's, there, there's some trust that has to be built and Uh, and knowing that we are putting your best interest Mm -hmm. first Mm -hmm. and we it doesn't do us any good to change something you've been doing for years if it's going to hurt your business, yeah. hurt your organization. But you have to trust that we've done this a lot and for a lot of different types of organizations. And we are able to forecast a little bit and to, mm-hmm. we're challenging things to help you solve these problems that we know you're going to run into mm-hmm. that you may not have the foresight to see just because you've never done anything like this. But, but, we have, and that's why we're here is to help you mm-hmm. avoid those hurdles, not even jump over them, but we can, we can help you get through them. And sometimes that means changing something you've always done. But I think that's where the honesty and the openness comes in is tell me why you've always done it that way. Yeah. And maybe I can incorporate that or bring it to a current solution. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because everything in terms of communication is constantly evolving. And that yes. is our job is to be ready to communicate three years from now, not right now. Yeah. So that's what we're looking towards, not just coming in to blow up what you have just because we like to to rebrand or recreate something right. that's already been done. That's not really what we want to do. We want to take what's there, take the spirit and the energy behind what is there and put it into something new that we know will help you in the future. Hmm. I'm glad you brought up trust because that is really... That really is important. And that really is the make or break between, I feel like the relationships that are more successful than others is that, you know, the Mm -hmm. ones that trust that it does us, it does 
it does us nothing to do something or create something that makes you look bad. Like that is terrible for our business model. So <laughs> or that you really aren't going to ever use. I'm like, why did we go down that path then? It's, we don't have to do that, you know? Yeah. And so just, um, finding ways to build that trust coming into those conversations from a place of knowing that we want to help you put your best foot forward and be the best that you can be and having that trust. And I think that for our particular type of work that we do, that's a challenge because it's easier for, I mean, I'm not, I've, I'm not a doctor. Like I've never, I watch Grey's Anatomy, but that doesn't mean that I could go into an OR and open someone up. But, it, but because I think people talk all the time and take pictures with their phones and make videos on TikTok and write emails. And like, I think that there comes that comfort with, oh, well, I know how to communicate. I communicate all of the time. Um, and so there's, I, all the time I think about Ryan Romero, who we interviewed early yes. on in the podcast and, um, he teaches advertising at, at UT. He worked, uh, for publicists, which is like a big advertising firm. And, you know, he said, if I have, if I call an electrician to come to my house, I'm not going to follow them around my house and tell them how I think that they should be wiring my house because I don't want my house to burn down. And he goes, but time after time, I feel like we always are having somebody following us around the house, trying to tell us like how they think, um, you know, we should do this. And not to say that we always encourage feedback and we want to hear can candid, candid um, feedback and response. But at the same time, like we also kind of know what we're doing. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> You know, like it's a, it's one thing to give us a couple ideas or tweaks, um, that you, you know, you would like to see, but it's a whole nother thing to get, um, Google images of, you know, all these other logos that are out there and you're just like, Oh, yeah, we, it's our job to think about all of the things that you haven't thought about to your point about thinking about what's this going to, how is this going to be communicated three years from now? Like, how is this brand going to stand up 10 years from now? Um, you know, like what are the implications of not communicating about this project? Well, now, like, what is that going to do for the trust that the public has with you and the next project that you have, you know, who is the, who are the influencers? Who do we need to talk to? Who do we need to make sure know what's going on? Like, those are all things that, we, that's our job to know and to have your back on. Um, and so, yeah, that trust is so critical. And I was just going to add like the difference between hiring a Mike Beitler and hiring someone off of Fiverr. Oh boy. You know, Mike, <laughs> talk about that for a minute. Like, How long I do mean, we have? I know. <laughs> but I mean, I, I have seen that in different social media groups that I'm in, um, online on Facebook. And, you know, I've seen these threads of like, yeah, we're going to do a rebrand. Who do you use? Who have you used before? And like, it's all these fivers or one off of, you know, similar groups of fivers, which are like, can you, y'all want to explain what Fiverr is or should I keep going? It's just like a company that a marketplace where all these, you know, different freelance artists and writers and you name it are all in this company together and you know they're 
literally like five bucks. Okay. Here I can explain, you know, when you're like in a big urban environment and somebody walks up to you and they open up their jacket and there's like fake watches or they open up their trunk and there's like purses, there's knockoff purses in there. That's like what Fiverr is compared to hiring. Like, and you know, we're saying Mike, because obviously he's who we've worked with for the past six years, but there are others out there, but yeah, I guess that's my best metaphor. Yeah, let, me, let me stick up for Fiverr. For a <laughs> well, I mean, like, right in a pinch and whatever, like I just gave them a lot of publicity, but <laughs> Fiverr, Fiverr is a wonderful solution yeah. for a, for somebody who's just starting out and doesn't have Yes. Time, money to invest That's in a brand. Yeah. <laughs> if you need just something to throw up on your Instagram account, you have $20 to spend. Yeah. Fiverr is an excellent resource to just say, give me something of quality that I can use. It's mm-hmm. not going to be packed with meaning. It's not going to have intention to it. It's mm-hmm. not going to have purpose behind it. It's not going to dig into who you are and represent you as an organization. It's going to be a mark that works technically. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the extent of it. Yeah, mm, that's a better thing. Bef- before I get flogged for my example, because full disclosure, the Water in Real Life podcast, I don't think that we use Fiverr, but we had <laughs> me and Arianne's avatars or drawings that uh, that another legit artist out of Mansfield did for us before we left. And but we needed them. We needed that turned into this Water in Real Life podcast. Bangs, oh, you know? and Arianne also needed added bangs to it as well. <laughs> Uh, which we need to update with my gray now. So, but yeah. Mike, get on that. Uh, but yeah, so to be, and we were, this was like fresh off of just starting. Yeah, so we yeah, we had to. 20 bucks yeah. mm-hmm. and we did that. So yes, there is a time and a place. <laughs> so I wasn't trying to be cruel with my metaphor, uh, but you know, I but just, when you have someone like, I'm Mike, in a Rolls Royce now. So yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not cost, but quality. Yeah. So don't think that you can't afford it. So Mike, you're an artist and art is a powerful tool to evoke an emotional response. Emotion is key to influencing behavior change, which when you're mission driven, like we are, um, that's essential. What are your thoughts on art as a tool to motivate behavior change? And part two, do I need to wait? And let you. Yeah, answer? I would. I would wait. Let him. Yeah. Let him oh. marinate on the art as a tool, like that emotional response. Yeah. The value so, of that. So the value of emotional response. Yeah. Yeah, like like I, this question came from when we were talking one time about. Um, well, I'll go ahead and introduce the second part of that question, which was going to be <laughs> about how using art for good. Yes. To sum it up, yes. because you are very passionate about using your God-given talent for good. Um, the work that you and Katie do is with nonprofits. Uh, farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I guess my biggest question is because art is what she just said, you know, that tool, whereas like design is very, we're going to solve this problem. You know, us and the mission that we're trying to do, everyone in water has this mission that they're trying to do. What is the value of using that power of more art and less like this has to be a super clean design and look this way to get that emotional response to change. I think we have had a lot of conversations about what, how do we make people care? Yes. And you piss me off every time. Just kidding. It's kind of my role. (laughs) 
just roll. to keep keep pushing that button to see how mad. Yeah, let's throwing. see how far can I get her to cry this time. <laughs> <laughs> can will she throw a shoe at me? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I th- I think there is there is so much opportunity to communicate creatively, communicate artistically in a way that people can relate to and it Mm -hmm. motivates them to change, motivates them to action. And I think while there is absolutely a place for utilitarian design that solves Mm -hmm. a problem and gets you from A to B, I think that's very functional and that's going to help you in something you were doing anyways. Mm -hmm. I was getting on the bus to go to this other part of town I used that map. The map was designed well, so I was able to get from point A to point B. Yeah. That is completely different than than motivating someone's matter of heart and and making them feel like I want to be involved and I want to do that thing or make that change or serve that water. Serve that conserve that water. I understand the value of of my involvement in conserving that Mm -hmm. water. And I think it's a responsibility as an artist for me mm-hmm. I don't say this is for all artists but I have been given gifts of being able to communicate visually and I think it's really important to do something good with that yeah and and this the the rogue mission of of making people care about water is really valuable to everyone so me being able to play a tiny little role and shift the idea of communicating <laughs> shift the idea of communicating very technically and very functionally yeah. to communicating those same messages in a way that might reach someone who is not technically minded or yeah. isn't looking for it mm-hmm. and i think you can catch them off guard a little bit and I, yeah. I i i think there's value in understanding this industry specifically you venture into the world of communication you're competing with everyone else who is communicating in the world. Yeah. And you, we work with so many organizations and they offer this product slash service that is of such high quality and so important. The way it's represented should be on that level of importance and that Mm -hmm. level of quality. And that comes from an artistic place. Mm. It doesn't come from a technical document that is 100% accurate and correct. Mm-hmm. If it's not going to make someone pick it up and read it, it's not effective. Water oh quality God. reports. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, there's so many things I want to unpack there and and that a lot of that has to do in the spicy question that I want to end on because that is an area that really gets us both riled up. It's my goat. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, uh abstract like that was a very like 90 40,000 foot level uh response selfishly i wanted to ask that question because i wanted to give permission to you don't have to do things so technical and um well it just goes against by the book i don't necessarily mean it by that like you can get creative in the way that you try to connect with your customers and your community yeah. and so when your public educators out there or even you know some of the communicators that when i say communicators i'm talking about like more formal 
public information officers and, and marketing pros like that. But especially when your public educators approach you about doing this new partnership or new collaboration with someone you've never worked with before or doing some new kind of community event um, that is just kind of different, but is going to be going to where people are and engaging with them in a different way, just to look at it from don't, don't say no so quickly. Like, and, and don't say yes, but this has to be an AP style or it's nothing, (laughs) you know, like you might communicate an AP style and that's fine for you and your press releases. It does not work for anyone else on any other thing. And I don't, we can, go offline and have discussions about that. <laughs> we ain't running a newspaper and we ain't doing press releases 24 seven on every piece of thing. Yeah. So quit having, quit saying my social media posts have to be an AP style. No, they don't. Yeah. No, they I don't. I mean, they got to fit your tone and your brand and be professional and appropriate, but you know, like it doesn't have to be necessarily within robotic that rigidity. Yeah. Like you can't like rib rib rid it of the humanity. Cause we are a bunch of humans that are trying to make a difference in the world. But my point is, is like, I wanted to give permission to folks to look at this, not only from trying to solve this problem that you may have whatever area related to communication, but just look at it from more of that artist's eye and give you the permission to engage with the people, the human beings that are at the end of that pipe on that tap, like in a different way that hopefully builds that connection to make them feel compelled to do things different, to do what you're asking, to save the water or to support that funding or investment, uh, whatever it is, but just I'm giving you permission to be creative and those public educators out there who are trying to do things a little rogue and different, give them some support as well and a budget. Um, but on- <laughs> don't, don't you dare say we're just a water utility. We're just a city. We don't spend money on marketing and branding and all that fluff and stuff. Um, that was perfect segue into the last question oh. that was going to get a little spicy is we, we See, do, I'm already getting hot. We hear that at council. We have been told that physically at, uh, personally, I mean, at, uh, council, uh, not council, you got me on council budget meetings, meetings. Um, on budget meetings, um, about branding work that we wanted to do, but you obviously know where Ariane and I stand on this. So I'm going to throw this to you, our guest, Mike's been listening (laughs) to us talk this whole time, but uh, like, what is your argument to that statement of, well, we're just the city and we don't need to be worried about that branding and marketing because you touched on it. We're, we're all in the same arena. Yes. We, you, we are all in the same arena is a nice way to put it. You are, you are yelling against all of the other people who are yelling. Everybody who's communicating has the same avenues of communication. We have the same ways we can talk to the people. Just because your message is more technical or or more serious than Doritos doesn't mean you can't communicate the way Doritos does. If you're communicating professionally and consistently, you can be creative. Mm -hmm. You can, you can, extend beyond the technical. So for everyone who is saying, anyone who is saying, I don't need to invest in branding, nobody needs to pay attention to you. (laughs) 
they're not going to pay attention to yeah. you. They're not going to trust you. And I know we, we kind of keep coming back to that trust, but so That's much important. of building a brand is establishing trust. Mm-hmm. A brand doesn't have to be uber creative. It doesn't have to be uber artistic, but it has to represent you accurately. And not investing in that, in that accuracy of, of what the brand is and what you stand for, and then not promoting it consistently and, and mm-hmm. at every touch point, people aren't going to trust you. Yeah. They're, they're not going to know where that comes from because I, I kind of alluded it, alluded to it earlier. What you're offering is top tier. It is the best of the best. You're, you need to present yourself in that way or nobody understands that what you're offering is the yeah. best of the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everybody else is out there putting their best foot forward visually because yeah. they know their product is good. Their service is, is top notch. You need to take that kind of pride in yourself and knowing that people do care and people are judging books by their covers. Yeah, they are. It's just, uh, unfortunately, that's kind of a fact of life. They're never going to pick your book up off of the shelf if you're not presenting yourself in a way that is, that speaks to them and is, is. I love that you talk about the, um, like you have to bring your best, you put your best foot forward. You know, I think about if I'm at a, if I'm at a fancy restaurant, but then I go to the bathroom and it's disgusting and in shambles and not working. I'm like, that makes me question what's going on in the kitchen. Like if there is lack of detail to this part of the room that the public sees, what is not happening in the parts Mm -hmm. that the public doesn't see, you know? So I think like, and you know, and it also, I was like thinking about all these metaphors while you were talking too. I was, I was thinking, like there was a reason that before a job interview or before a date or before some other place where you want to look like somebody that someone can trust, you know, you take a shower, you get out of your jammies, you do your hair, you know, like you put your best foot forward and that is what your brand is. And it's more than just, um, it's more than just your logo. Yeah, it is. I mean, it gives you like, it gives your customers a benefit of the doubt. Like if they do get, a high bill, but they have a really good relationship with you. They're going to come to that conversation going, okay, guys, what's going on versus mm-hmm. WTF angry face. Yeah. What's going on? You know, yeah. social media blow up before they even come to you first, like huge difference. And even if something does go wrong, if I can look to someone who appears put together and is presenting this unified we know what we're doing we are confident in who we are when something does go wrong I'm going to feel much more comfortable that they're going to be able to handle it yeah because of what I've seen in the past and the way Mm -hmm. they've introduced themselves to Mm me and because you haven't just seen them that one time right you've seen them you've seen them grabbing that cup of coffee or you've seen them you know at the grocery store like these are all, I'm going down this metaphor festival <laughs> you yeah. know but out there outreach you know yeah. going out there and shaking hands with each other and yeah. um or they've come know. to your pub they've come to your meetings they've asked you like how the organization you care about is doing and how you can help like they're out there making those connections and and so as the city folk, I want them to go away with like, that is everyone from the person who unclogged that storm drain 
and read that meter and found that wild animal in a tree and brought it to animal control all the way up to the city manager. Like everyone is your brand. So training and, you know, letting, making them understand the value of what you bring. Like I can remember when we got told we are not allowed to make a brand video to recruit new people and use it as an onboarding to like show them what we're all about. Like, what? <laughs> Which is the most ridiculous thing to me because there is such a culture. And if you're coming into some place, you want to understand what that culture is. Yeah. That's what helps you feel that sense of belonging. Like you pick the right place and you're with people who get it. And uh, yeah, to your point, I think that your biggest brand ambassadors are the people that you work with every single day. And if you're not empowering those, especially the people out in the field who are likely to get approached by someone, I'm not saying you got to put it fully in their hands that they need to mitigate every customer service issue, but they should have at least enough training and enough comfort Mm -hmm. to not like hide in their truck. When they see someone come out, they should be able to carry that conversation Mm -hmm. because that's a brand touch point. That's a representative of your brand, whatever that interaction is and how that person walks away from it. Mm -hmm. That has now in some ways shown your brand to them when your customer service, when they make a, you know, when they pick up the phone, that's a part of your brand experience. Like it's just, it's so much more than what's on your trucks, your uniforms or your water tower, that logo. It's really, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. Um, you want to go into the lightning round? Yeah. Or else hey, Mike. Mike's just going to sit here and listen to us talk. And <laughs> I would say, I'm sorry, but like, these are just conversations we've had with Mike and, um, and Heard she it all said before. that I was, yeah, this was going to get my goat and it does. So, um, I guess I'll start with the lightning round. Well, all of these, um, just so you're aware, Mike, all of these <laughs> lightning rounds questions, fill in the blank things are, um, tied to our core values. So that's kind of what they're rated in. Okay. Since I stole Brene Brown's idea and made it our own. Okay. So these are quick first thought answers. Um, so name a moment you felt most authentically you. Anytime I am working with my hands. Mm. Nice. nice. Um, I'm so glad I met blank this year. Didn't meet him this year, but I've gotten to know uh, Bo Bollinger this year. Why does that name sound familiar? I don't know. Do you uh, know him? Bo Bollinger. Maybe it's he, just... he is a, I don't, I don't know. The Maybe it's the onomatopoeia of it. I don't know. He, but... <laughs> he's a hairdresser. He cuts hair. Oh, I mean the alliteration. Oh, okay. And he's a genius. Cool. And he's, he's an artist. And I've gotten to know him a little bit and seeing how his creative process, like his process of, of handling his clients and transforming mm-hmm. them through what he does to their hair mm. is a very interesting parallel. And he is a nice, and, and, and that's an why your hair always looks on point character. Yeah. Well, I don't know about all that, but yes, when it looks good, it's his fault. It's his okay. fault. Nice. <laughs> Boldness looks like blank. Sharing your creativity. Mm, yes. yes, especially Sharing. I don't. I get bubble guts when Mike shares anything artistic. Cause I'm like, 
y'all better like it because I know how much work. <laughs> <it. clears throat> uh, I stay curious by walking. Ooh, good answer. Mm-hmm. I agree. You do. You'd like to go outside and draw the, the landscape. Soak it all in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I go to work every day, so mostly, so that my neighbors can <laughs> blank. What's this everyday nonsense? Um, anyway, <clears throat> and we're talking about empathetically serving people. Yeah. And neighbors can be in general, like right, right, right. So, so I go to work every day so that I can help people do what they can't. I have a very mm-hmm. specific set of, of skills and gifts, and I want to use them to help anyone I can. You sounded like Liam Neeson from Taken. A very specific set of skills. <laughs> I need a better <laughs> voice. I need that, like, <clears throat> Liam Neeson voice. That accent. Okay, mm-hmm. Arian, you go. Um, what's something you're deeply grateful for? Katie. No, oh, um, I knew you were going to say that. I mean, sorry. Both personally and professionally. Yeah. Nice. We're grateful for her too. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, the work that we do, we're all about behavior change, you know, even in our previous lives working for the cities. And sometimes people would tell us that what difference does it actually, you've probably told me this. in one of those times that you were trying to piss me off, like (laughs) I'm only one person, what difference does it make if I make a change? It's not like that's going to solve anything, but I disagree. (laughs) I think that, uh, Change can be contagious and you never know what you're going to inspire in someone else. So what is the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? I think it's, it's back to the boldness. It's, it's being willing to share your creativity. Mm. I think creativity is so valuable and I think everyone has it. The outlet is, is different for everyone, but I think people using their creativity on purpose could change the world. I am nodding a lot in agreement to that. Creativity unlocks innovation, which is unlocks so many other things. So absolutely be bold with your creativity, y'all. Right. Uh, um, well, Mike, this was great. Thank you for spending some time with us and coming up all the way here from all the way from Austin to sit yeah. down here with me in real life, at least. And, uh, listening, sitting here patiently and quietly as Arianne and I vent a little. Um, (laughs) The the passion is contagious. contagious. (laughs) But as always, we learn a ton from you. And so we definitely appreciate you sharing uh, this time with us and with all of our listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me here. This was wonderful. We are so grateful for each and every one of you, all the members of our listening community. The Water in Real Life podcast is a Rogue Water Lab original. It's hosted by the H2 duo. That's us, Stephanie Corso and Ariane Shipley. It's produced by Rogue Water Lab, 12 Midnight, and Matt Black Sound. Sound design and music by Andre Black and Matt McNeil of Matt Black Sound. For more Water in Real Life, check out our YouTube channel and sign up for our lab notes. You can find both at roguewaterlab.org.